Hello, Grace Community, good to see you this morning. I was wondering, you know, how it would turn out, how many people would be able to make it. And, uh, you know, you look out on the streets and it's not sticking. And I said it's not, it can't stick, it can't stick, so it just looks like water out there. So anyway, we'll... Well, it's sticking on the houses and on the grass, but not on the streets, so we're still good. Good. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> on the road, it, we're, we're cool there anyway, right? Uh, anyway, and it'll be great tomorrow. It's funny, Sundays, it just happens to do this a lot. Have you noticed that? What's well, a test or what, right? <laughs> Conspiracy. Okay, hey, listen, uh, we are proceeding right along in our study in Mark. It had been a great evening of the Lord whenever they were celebrating the Passover, He and the apostles. It was a precious time that He had alone with them. And He was able to teach them eternal truths. And hopefully some of those things would stick, right? (laughs) Um, There were certain things about the necessity of His going away. That the Holy Spirit would come. He taught that. The lesson on humility where He washed their feet. And then the, I am the vine, you are the branches. That's where He spoke that to them. That's pretty incredible there, isn't it? Ah, thanks. Let there be light. (laughs) The relationship of believers to the rest of the world, um, His death and His resurrection, He spoke about there, obviously. Prayer. And then he closed the Passover with what we looked at last week, and that was the initiation of the Lord's Supper coming right near the end of that Passover. And he showed how that that was converting over. And so they had been there all evening enjoying probably at least six hours of the great fellowship that they had. Can you imagine fellowshipping with the Lord and Him teaching those things that we're so familiar with? Of course, many of those things they had heard before, but there are things that are coming in the Lord's timetable that He sure wanted them to hear. And that is just a precious time. From here on, it gets a little grueling. Starting with our text today, they're going to leave the upper room. They sing a hymn, which was probably Psalm 118, which is what would be the hymn that would be after a Passover. And they would start their way up to the Mount of Olives. Jesus tells them what's going to happen in the next few short hours. In a short while. And there are things that He's going to say in our text today that they do not want to hear. <laughs> They don't want to hear. Matter of fact, they're going to disagree with it. But yet, whatever Jesus says will happen. Everything that He says will happen. It's perfectly on time. I want you to get this. Yes, this is leading to the cross. But everything in this plan of His is coming together just in the time that He had in mind. He is in absolute sovereign control and it's just like whenever it looks like disaster he is even controlling them that's how great our God is now Jesus is going to tell them 
that they're going to fall away, that they're going to scatter. Now, this is an insight into their weakness. This is a weakness that they have. Jesus knows that. And you do remember that the Lord had said in back in Mark 8.38 that whoever is ashamed of me, that he would be ashamed of them. Now, he had stated that before. Well, certainly, we know what Judas does, did. Judas falls into that category, but it's a category of permanent and terminal of being ashamed of him. But the eleven, it was not a permanent shame. It was a temporary shame. They didn't betray the Lord, did they? They would not betray Him or sell out the Lord. But they certainly appear to be ashamed in the next few hours. It seems like there's definite failure here. And no one is more on display of their failure than the one who sticks out the most, and that's Peter. Peter uh, is the one who is seen the most, although they are all in this same boat. The shame of Judas was the shame of unbelief. The shame of eleven was just a shame of weakness. They're weak. It'd be temporary, however, and it will turn to faith. And God's going to use it for good. Now, I, I think that kind of weakness is something that everyone in this room can identify with. Where we have been weak, maybe we've been ashamed to identify with Christ because of the crowd that we happen to be around. And uh, we might even reject Him in a sense. Just be silent. Or act like we don't even know Christ. Maybe we might see hostility from people. So we shut up. Or maybe negative consequences that might come out of it. Well, as Martin Lloyd-Jones has said, if you have never been ashamed to openly proclaim the gospel, it is not because you are so courageous. It is because you probably don't understand the gospel. Because if you really proclaim that gospel, you have to confront the sinner in a way that will cause the sinner to maybe even reject what you say and you yourself. Right? And that can drive us to silence. And I know I've presented the gospel to people and then have been told maybe you were a little bit hard with them. I don't try to be hard with anything, but I can't water down the gospel and it is to convict people of sin. The Holy Spirit is here to convict the world of sin, of their sin, of righteousness, of the righteousness of Christ, and a judgment to come. So, I think it can be very helpful to us today as we try to understand these men and not put the blame on them but to understand the very experience that they went through on this issue of shame, we know in the ultimate, they come out bold in the end, don't they? Of course, on Wednesday nights, we're doing the book of Acts. And you'll see boldness. So that's exactly what they did. We know it really happens to them. They do scatter. That's what the Lord said. But they'll be recovered. 
And you can say, boy, this sounds like a real negative section today. Uh, Got the title there, Failure and Agony and the Glory of God. You have that in your bulletins, right? Failure and agony and the glory of God. No matter what's going on, the glory of God is always shining, isn't it? God's majesty is always there. There can be clouds, but the sun is always shining above, isn't it? And that's what's happening during this time. The magnificence, the very glory of the Son of God. He's in control of all of this. Even whenever He is grieving deeply in His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And people can say, well, I don't see much good out of this. I mean, I don't see the glory of God here at all. All I see is the failure and the weakness of the disciples and the pain and the agony of our Lord. This is why we study the Scriptures. This is why I have the job to bring out the truth of the Gospel here and try to dig out a little bit further of what is going on and for us to see this glimpse of glory despite all the things that are going on and there are plenty of lessons for us to learn as we look at uh, the disciples and then obviously we look at Christ. So why don't we all stand, pick up those Bibles... Turn to this Mark 14. We start at verse 26. Coming right out of the Passover. Out of that upper room. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet... I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same thing also. They came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went and prayed, saying the same words, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Father, we thank You for Your Word, as we always are. Thank You for this passage that we look at this morning. And as we look at how the disciples responded during this time, and we see the Lord being going to be left alone. Yet, we know that this is all part of the plan. 
help us to gain insight here of who you are and how we can better be changed to be more resembling like Christ. We're not here just to gain knowledge, but that our lives would continue to be changed, not just be as in the past. In your Son's name, amen. amen. All right. Verse 26, singing the hymn, went out to the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives mentioned quite often in the Gospels, right? See that a lot? He had given the Olivet Discourse there, which was dealing with uh, the times that would be coming up all through. Second coming. He will ascend from this Mount of Olives. And we know that that happened. And then He's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. Once again, Jesus is going to lead the apostles to this quiet place. He's going to pray. And He's going to actually follow the same route that King David did a thousand years before whenever he walked up there. He was fleeing from the very pursuit of his son Absalom. And according to 2 Samuel 15, you know that David went up the Mount of Olives barefoot and weeping. So kind of a little picture of here's Christ doing that. Now, you get into verse 27. And as they've done the Passover, a joyous time, a great celebration, on the way to the Mount of Olives, Jesus talking to them tells them this thing out of nowhere. I mean, they're in a joyous mood and everything. You will all fall away. Boy, that boy, that really, that just uh, just spoils a party, doesn't it? You will all fall away. And it's you know he knows that, but he draws from scripture, and they should have heard of this before. It is written. I will strike down the shepherd. He is the shepherd. And the sheep shall be scattered. They are the sheep. And here we are. <laughs> and uh, that's taken right out of Zechariah 13.7. You're all going to fall away this night. Can you imagine what they're thinking? You know, He knows the plot that the Jewish leaders are uh, have already schemed and what they're going to do. And... He knows the Roman soldiers are going to be coming up there. Uh, he knows about what the Sanhedrin is, is doing and and then Judas, and they're going to come right into that garden in the midst of that. And knowing that, that's where he goes. Now, Zechariah 13.7 is where he takes this quote. And it's already hard enough for them to swallow that Jesus had told them to Passover that Judas, or actually didn't say Judas, but he'll be the one that takes this bread and puts it into the sop and eats it. What I've given it. And that pretty well pointed, that's, that's who it is. And then he told him, go and do what you're going to do. Now, this has got to be hard for them to take because they've already heard this. And now he's telling them that they will forsake him also. And it's going to fulfill a prophecy that was written like 400 years before this happened. We're getting a lot of details leading up to the death and then the very crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection and all that goes with that. We get prophecy after prophecy as it comes true. All through Matthew, we've seen Matthew point those things out, especially dealing with the king. 
Jesus is in an absolute control here. Everything is happening. It's not spinning out of control. It's going to look like it is. It's going to look horrible. But He's fulfilling hundreds of prophecies. Look at Matthew 26, verse 56. But all this has taken place to fulfill the Scriptures of the prophets. And then look at this. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Now that's after he's arrested. That advances us up. But Matthew says, this all took place. Everything down to those little details was there to fulfill Scripture. It just proves that Jesus Christ is God. It proves the Bible. You don't have prophecies like this in any other scriptures, in any other religions, anywhere. And if they would have, they would have been wrong. And you could just throw them right out the window, right? And people should. They should check this out. Why is it that people examine Scripture, they'll look at things like this, they'll see 300 prophecies fulfilled, even believe it, and then later on in their walk say, I'm getting out of this. It's not doing me any good. Now, can you understand that? That's what Judas did. That's a sorry thing. You may feel that you're like in chaos in your own little world. Feel like the world is crumbling around you. You ever been that way? Feel like the roof is falling in on you? And just trust Him. He's got this under control. He's behind the scenes. He's controlling those scenes. Can't see Him. We know that. That's what faith is. It says, I'll lead you into Galilee. Now, He's told them what's going to happen. They're going to scatter. But look at this. This is how great Jesus Christ is. I mean, they, I mean, right now, their minds are just elsewhere whenever they hear this. You know, what, what are you talking about? But He says, but after I have been raised, resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Okay? That means he's going to be with them again. You know, Galilee, they're familiar with. They know that area. That's where they're from. He says, hey, I've got this under control. Um, you think he has eternal perspective in front of him? You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about the joy that was set before him. He looked to the cross, but yet He looked past the cross because He knew where that would go. I think that's what happens to all of us. We need to see, okay, where we go through this world and a lot of good things happen and we get some challenges and there's a lot of tests and such, but look what is after this. At the end of the race, the joy is set before us. So He's going to have a redeemed people. Some of those people are... You know, well, of, of all the church is sitting right here today, right? Redeemed. Purchased by Him because He was obedient at the cross. Purchased by His own treasure, precious blood. And having eternal future with the church. That's what He is. Isn't that marvelous? Mm-hmm. Look at Mark 16, verse 7. The go. Tell his disciples. This is after the resurrection. Go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead 
of you to Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. Well, they saw him before that, but the Galilee thing is, you know, that's where they're going to be headed and spend most of the rest of the forty days up there and where they're where they're from. That was a promise, and you can see that in other places. He is faithful. What he says, he will do. What he says is in here. What he says in here, he will do. And in Second Timothy chapter two, I think it really gives a good outline of what happens in our text today. In Second Timothy chapter two, verse eleven, is a trustworthy statement, and very well could have been a part of a hymn or a song that they sang in the early church meetings. For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Then the next phrase. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. To the unbelievers, the ones like Judas, which was a, not a temporary denial, but it was eternal, that he denies. The ones who are his, ones who have been chosen by him, even when we are faithless, he still endures. He makes promises he will follow through on that. He can't deny what he said. That doesn't give us license to go and sin, right? Not at all. Matter of fact, it should be the other way around. Uh, I think all of us have to confess how unfaithful we are to Him. But He's faithful all the time. He's never let us down. I'll not disown you. You may disown me, but I'll never disown you. Wow, that is that's staggering. Well, we know what Peter does. Back to our Mark 14 text. And this is us. This is the rest of the disciples. He happens to be the spokesman, so he's he gets the target. Okay, Peter, you're going to be that bold? You're going to pay for it. And people down through the church are going to just uh, yeah, look at you as somebody who just stumbled all over the place. This is not the utter fulfillment of Peter. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, he's saying all the rest of the guys here, even though they all may fall away, yet I will not. Yeah, he's pretty indignant here. The rest of them might desert you, but I won't do it. Jesus said to him, Jesus didn't him haul around about here and just try to step lightly. He says, um, truly, Absolutely what's going to happen is that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. Jesus tells the fact. William MacDonald, he writes commentary, he said that very quickly, Jesus turned that never, that Peter just said, into a soon. <laughs> Peter says, I'd never do that. Jesus said, very soon. Jesus didn't just let him down gently. He faced him with fact. Assuredly, I say to you today, even this night, you're going to deny me three times. 
John 13, 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Uh, about Luke 22, verse 31. I mean, isn't that the way that we would want to be? Uh, I would never deny the Lord. This is the one that really hits. And Jesus addresses Peter, but He doesn't call him Peter here. Peter means what? Rock. Solid. That's the name He gave Peter. Petros. But here He calls him Simon. goes back to the first name that He had. The old Peter. And that's what He does when He has to hit Peter with truth after Peter is outspoken. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He didn't say, I've prayed for you that that you won't deny me and that Satan won't sift him. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, when once you've turned around, whenever you've repented here and when you have um, seen me, strengthen your brothers. This is going to happen. You are going to be sifted like wheat. And was he? Yes, he did. And then when he saw the Lord, he repented. He was sad what he did. And he was very mournful over that and grieved. This is exactly what Jesus says. His faith was not going to fail because Christ holds him. Right? Otherwise, he would have failed just like Judas. But it's Christ who holds us. Jesus tells a fact. You know, do you think Satan really wanted Jesus crucified? Well, he is the murderer, and it would be good to get him out of the way, but really, why did Jesus come here? Do you know that Satan has to know about Scriptures? I think it's interesting. I mean, it can go both ways, but you remember that at the temptation, what did Satan tempt Jesus? One of them was, you don't have to go the route of the cross. What? You can have the kingdom now. Right now, you can. You know, he's going to be. Matter of fact, he he was, but yet it, it really hadn't come to fruition yet, and we're still kind of waiting for that ultimate, right? But you know, it's kind of interesting. I think Satan would have liked to have kept Jesus from the cross because that's where he redeems his people. How about Peter right here? Oh no, Lord, you don't have to die. He he gives a positive statement. No, we don't want you. To, no, there's no way you're going to die. Make, thinking that was the right thing to say. Jesus had just stated fact. It has to happen. What did Jesus tell him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Doesn't call him Peter there. Doesn't call him Simon. He says Satan even. Mm-hmm. Satan says you don't have to die. 
Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought about maybe Satan didn't really want to get Jesus crucified? And how about at Gethsemane? Where Jesus even says, and what we're going through today, if this be possible, Lord, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but your will. Huh. I think he had a battle with Satan right there in the garden as he's sweating blood and such. He had a temptation, but he cannot sin. He did not sin. He did the perfect will of God. Peter is insistent about protesting against Christ here. Verse 31, Peter kept insistently saying, even if I have to die with you, okay, you're going to die. Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same thing also. Yeah, me too. I'll hang with you. I'll, I'll be willing to die with you. I'll never desert you. Jesus already told them they're going to scatter. But I won't. No, not me, not I. Wow. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 12. What a lesson there is here. Sometimes we like to sit on our laurels, our past Christianity. I've been there. I already know this. I know that. I'm okay. I've been through that. I can get through it again. No big deal. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you will be able to endure it. Let him who thinks he stands take heed as he can fall. Look in Proverbs 29-23. Are we getting some lessons out of what Peter and the other disciples did? Well, yeah, because we do the same thing they do. 29. We can't really run them down, can we? 29-23. A man's pride will bring him low. We sang a song this morning about humble yourself. But a humble spirit will obtain honor. Pride. People can hang up here for a long time, but they will ultimately be brought down. Proverbs 11, verse 2. That's some good wisdom right there. We could just take that verse home and just deal with that the rest of the day, couldn't we? 11.2 When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. They all said likewise. What does that tell us? They weren't aware of their weakness. We have an Achilles heel. We have certain weaknesses. Peter's self-apparent strength that he had and looked like he was so strong. He had the courage and he had boldness, didn't he? He really did. Anytime he speak out as much as he did, you know, he had to. But he didn't realize his self-apparent strength was actually his greatest weakness. It's when we are weak, we know it, is when we're strong. 
So there's a lesson here. And you remember just a few hours later, there's a campfire. There's a little slave girl. And there is bold Peter denying that he ever even knew him. (laughs) I don't know the man. Oh my. Great danger. We can overestimate ourselves. So easy to do that. So easy to overestimate. And you know what? I believe because of the depravity of man and even the, de- the depravity of our flesh, yes, we are new creatures, but in a hidden secret depravity of our heart, the circumstances were just right. We could delve down into the worst and deepest depths of sin imaginatively known to mankind. Us here today. We see and hear some of the things that are going on out in the world. It's despicable. And we do shake our heads and we should. and uh, We should be mournful and grieving over this awful sin in our land, in this world. But you know what? You've seen how deep and dark it is. We too, if it weren't by the grace of Christ, if we're not being led by Him, could delve down into some of the worst depths of sin. When you when you hear of children killing their parents, parents killing their babies, children, uh, other ages, I'm just beside myself. I can't even imagine it. That's, that's not natural. But who knows? what kind of thoughts and the depths that we can have. So that's why we have to really stay humble, not to overestimate ourselves. Jesus knew them better than they knew themselves, didn't He? Matter of fact, He knows us better than we know ourselves. We know what we're capable of. They're going to be scattered. And you know, had they believed it, they might have um, maybe saved themselves from a lot of... um, can you say it? Uh, anxiety and Peter may not have even denied the Lord. Maybe he had just scattered. Peter actually kind of hung around. Jesus told him to scatter. Why? Because he knew their weakness. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John 18, let and as he's telling the the soldiers there and all the other guys are trying to are arresting him, is he says. Let these disciples go their way. Boys, run. Now's your time right now. Get out of here. That's what he's telling them. They did. They were meant to scatter because the Lord told them that they were going to scatter. And the Lord knew their weakness. But if they really would have listened to Him, it would have required the brokenness of their will. After they scattered, do you think they became more broken than they'd ever had before? Peter became very broken, didn't he? Peter had to be changed. There's a changing going on right there. When the Holy Spirit comes, Pentecost, 
full-fledged. The brokenness of the will. You know, we are to be sacrifices. We are continually to be sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about that. You can't be the sacrifice you need to be for God if you're thinking too highly of yourselves. If you're thinking about yourself. It's a constant battle for all of us. It really is. We all... This is our main problem. Our self. Our flesh. We battle against who? The world. The devil. But the flesh is the real problem because that's what lets it in. That's where we are responsible. Yes, we can get past the worldly temptations or even when Satan is hacking at us. You know what? The Lord is our commander. How can we lose? The flesh wants to have a highly inflated opinion of ourselves. We love to be comfortable. God is dealing with that. He's dealing with it. It seems like we respond very slowly. But He's doing it. He's dealing. Well, we finished our first part. Ready to go on part two? All right. We move on. Because we only have so many passages that we'll be doing and Resurrection Day, Lord willing. And if He can come back before that, it would be great. But on Resurrection Day, we're going to be at that resurrection message. So we would just keep plowing along. So we're taking a, another hefty section. And we're doing pretty good on time. Did we get our lesson there in that section? We're still dealing with the, the apostles and their failure. So I thought, oh, this goes right into context. This time it's dealing with how Jesus is feeling too. This is prayer and agony in the garden. Part 2. Gethsemane. They came to a place named Gethsemane. What's Gethsemane mean? Well, first of all, let's say where that's at. They're probably near the temple, the upper room, probably close to there. They go down the ravine. And then on the other side, on the east, is the Kidron Valley. So once you go there, you start going up the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And right there at the beginning of the slope of the Mount of Olives, if you can picture that, you've probably seen pictures, Oh, if I would have thought about it, I would have given some good pictures of this. In fact, I could have had it up there. I didn't think a thing about it. That's kind of neat to look at. Garden of Gethsemane, you've seen pictures. The, the olive trees, some of those things are ancient. Makes you wonder, were they around when Jesus was there? But they will tell you they were, they're literally hundreds of years old. There were probably some ancient ones there when they were there. It, it's quite a, quite a sight. Gethsemane means this. Get this oil press. Gethsemane. Oil press. Olive oils. What do you do to get the oil out of the olives? You have to crush them, right? Well, Jesus is being crushed at the place that is a place of crushing. With the weight of anticipation of the cross and taking that sin on Him, He is being crushed. Matter of fact, blood is pouring out of his skin as he, he's sweating blood. That's an amazing thing. So, quite a place there to be at at the same time while he's praying, and it's a beautiful place. But at the same time, uh, we we know it's uh, crushing to get the oil out of it. Now we get into something very fascinating. He took with him Peter and James 
and John. And he began to be very distressed and troubled. This is Jesus. Now this is the two-nature Jesus. The humanity, His man, and God. His humanity, so we can identify with Him, it's like us, He can feel distress. He can feel troubled. He can feel grief. He can feel sadness just like us. He can be tempted, although He will not sin. And He takes along Peter and James and John. These guys are called the intimate circle of the disciples. Jesus just chooses them on certain occasions for Him to be with them. I think it's interesting that He would take these three along again. And Warren Wiersbe has a really good point here, and this is something that I hadn't really thought too much about. And you might have, but think about it. This is rewarding. And I say, listen, this is cool, if I can say that. Okay. In Philippians, chapter 3, famous passage, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Paul said everything that he did as far as himself before he became a Christian was absolutely worthless. Right? All the Jewish things that he did, Benjamite of Benjamite, a Jew of Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisee, he was at the top, the most educated. I'm telling you, this guy was there, man. And he says, after I found Christ, this meant nothing. He says, this is what it's all about. There are three things. That I would know Him. That I would know the power of His resurrection. What kind of power is that? Ultimate power, isn't it? And that I would know the fellowship of His sufferings. From resurrection to sufferings. Power to weakness. That I may know Him. Do you remember? At the Mount of Transfiguration, who was there with Jesus, God the Father, and then Moses and Elijah? Who did Jesus take up with Him at the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, James, John. Are you following me? How does this fit in with our Philippians? They got to know Jesus Christ like they had never known before. You say, well, how? Do you remember? He showed them His glory. He just like peel back his flesh and let them see this awesome glory of the Lord that they'd never seen. They never forgot about it. Peter wrote about it. John wrote about it. I want to tell you, they got to know Him in a way they hadn't known before. Glory. That I may know Him. Uh, Paul also said that I may know the power of His Resurrection. Do you remember 
there was a little girl who died. The father came to Jesus. And we know that Jesus goes to the house. She had been sick. She died. Jesus goes to the room. And who does He bring with Him? The same guys that we know of and the Mount of Transfiguration. We know of that, right? I'm not going in a chronological order here, but I'm going the verse order in Philippians. He had raised Jairus' daughter. Tabitha, right? Little lamb, come alive. She arose. She had been dead. She came to life. There were people mourning for her and everything. Jesus walks in there and she comes to life. Peter, James, and John saw a little girl come to life. The power of His resurrection. Peter, James, and John later on will know Him like they hadn't known before like we just talked about in the power or uh, in, in knowing Him, in knowing that glory. Well, there's one left. And that Paul said that I can know the fellowship of His sufferings. So who's at the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus as He takes them on a little bit further than the rest of the disciples? Peter, James, and John. This is the third time that I may know Him, that I may know the power of His resurrection, and that I may know His sufferings. Are you seeing that? Thanks to Warren Wiersbe, that really caught my ear and I go, wow, that's incredible. They got all three that Paul desired. And boy, do they really see a glimpse of this suffering here. What a privilege it must have been there at Gethsemane. And uh, all these different things that they had seen that Jesus had let them experience. Jesus was distressed and troubled and grieved. And then, back to our mark, You know, um, he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here, keep watch. And he went a little beyond them, fell to the ground, began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. By the way, I believe in the impeccability of Christ, which means he can be tempted, but he cannot sin. He came here, he could not sin. We, we uh, spent a Wednesday night dealing with that. So he was not going to sin here. He was unable to. But there's a great struggle here. I'm telling you, this is a struggle. Luke 22:44. You've got the two-nature Christ, His humanity and His deity. Being in agony, He was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Capillaries bursting forth. Blood coming out. This was serious. This was real. And uh, we look in verse 35. He went a little beyond him, fell to the ground, began to pray that if, that was, if it were possible, that hour would pass him by. I want, you picture this scene, okay? He leaves the disciples holding the whole gang, somewhere near the gate, takes the intimate three, Peter, James, and John, 
then leaves them. And it's like leaving us behind there. Because it goes a little further and there are things that happen there that we're not told. Things that go on here in his agony, we can't understand. It's way beyond us. We felt sin before. We didn't feel all the things that he was feeling. We can understand a lot of things, but not all of it. But we can't avoid the greatest question of all here regarding Gethsemane. And I know everybody here has probably asked it. If Jesus knew what the Father's will was, what's the agony for? Right? He knows. That's the Father's will. That's the reason He came here. He's not trying to change the Father's will. We know He was born the Eternal Son, born in Bethlehem, to do the will of the Father. Right? And of course, in Luke, he sweat those great drops of blood. If he knows that what God's will, what's the agony for? Why did he pray as he did here, like in verse 35, verse 36? If it were possible that that hour could be removed, that this cup would be removed, he's saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He's always said that. He had set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's been saying all along, this is where he's going to go, that he'll have to die. He knows that. It was not the Father's will per se. It was not being obedient to God that he was wrestling with. He wasn't wrestling with the fact that it was God's will. He knows what God's will. He's not wrestling at all with that. It was what the Father's will would entail. What is in that will? What would the will of God entail? You go to Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It is written there. It's out of Deuteronomy. This is in the law. If you break that law, everyone's cursed. You know what? Every one of us was under a curse. Every human being was under the curse of the fall. And Christ redeemed us from that curse. We no longer have a curse anymore. Well, what's that mean to him? There's the penalty. If it cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, hangs on the cross, there's a penalty for rebellious son to be hanging on a tree. Now he's not rebellion in that he sinned. But the thing is, and we know that he's sinless and he is spotless, but he is treated like a rebellious son as he's put on that cross. He had never broken a law. He had never ever had a bad thought, a bad word, a bad deed. Never, not even close to sinning. And yet he is treated as the greatest lawbreaker in the history of mankind. 
That's the weight that is coming on him. Second Corinthians five twenty one. He's grappling with this that his holy soul would be made sin in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what Second Corinthians five twenty one deals with. It doesn't mean he became sinful. And that's what a lot of your false teachers are teaching today. They're saying that he actually not only took on that sin, but he was sinful. People like your uh, Copelands, Joyce Myers, on and on. Matter of fact, they'll even say he went to hell. It's a punishment. That's not true at all. That's uh, diverting and totally distorting the gospel. But Jesus was treated as a sinner. He never sinned. He was guilty of our sins. (laughs) That's what that is about. Harry Ironside says, His Holy Spirit souls shrank from the awfulness of being made sin upon the tree. It was shrinking from, but it was the divine anger against sin. God, His Father. It was the imputation to Him of all our iniquities, your iniquities, that filled His soul with horror. Just take one person's sin and put them on Him. How about all the people that he dies for? Puts those sins on. And knowing that God the Father demands perfect justice. He's contemplating about this sin offering. Becoming the object of God's holy wrath. He took on God's holy wrath like nobody ever has. And you remember where he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hebrews 5.7 talks about him learning obedience to the will of God through the things that he suffered. Learning obedience. That's his humanity. He didn't know what sin was. He had never felt sin. And now, He knows it's going to be on Him. It's now at that time. This is the moment. It's definitely showing His humanity, isn't it? He learned obedience to the will of God. I believe verse 7 in Hebrews 5 in particular is specifically referring to this Gethsemane right here. He's coming as a human being who is God. But in His humanity, He is God. Rappling, wrestling with what it really means to go to Calvary. Because it's only going to be a few short hours now. And he is surrendering his will completely to God. He says, Abba, Father. Aramaic term, Dada. Daddy. That's how close and intimate of a term that was. And then we deal with the cup. The cup. What was in this cup? The wrath of God towards sin. Something that's absolutely foreign to Christ's very character and nature. 
He didn't know what the sin was. He never knew the anger of God against sin. Because of sin. I mean, he knows about it. He's about to drink this cup. The cup of wrath without any mercy. Now we might drink a cup of wrath or a cup of mercy. Excuse me. Without wrath. Right? And it's happened to us. The wrath of God has not come upon us, nor will it ever. We're trusting in that sacrifice. He is seeing the very horror of what Calvary is all about. What it's going to mean. Cursed as sin. He is the very object of God's wrath. That's what He's saying. But you know what? That's what it took. Lord, if there be any other way, but there is no other way. That's why all the other religions are so ridiculously wrong. Jesus said there is no other way. If there is no other way, then I have to follow you. The Father's will is that this is what it is. You can only be saved through Jesus Christ, God's Son, and His sacrifice on the cross. It's the only way. If there, if there were other ways, do you think that God the Father would have sent His Son, Jesus Christ, through Gethsemane to Calvary? Would He have done that if there had been another way? And think, surely God can come up with another way. God is God and He knows everything. He could have come. He could have just said, okay, I'm just going to save the people I want to save and that's it and not send Jesus Christ. No. Because He is a righteous God. There has been sin against Him. He is perfectly holy. It does not work. It cannot work. He could never do that. The sins have to be paid for. No other way? That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Don't ever let anybody tell you, yeah, he was a good man. He was a really a good teacher. But, you know, even though we're Christians, there's other people out there that are good people too, and they're going to go too. That is against the very work of God. You know the lady, Mother Teresa? She said that all the time. The Hindus were going to heaven, all other people there. She was just there to help the suffering. Oh, how how much of a hero he is. She denied the very work of Jesus Christ. Because only through Him can people go to heaven. But they lift her up and put her up at the top. Well, what's happening? We're getting near the end here. We know what's what's the apostles doing. Jesus says at this hour, and you see what what is happening, and he is alone here. They're sleeping. We know the story. And he came, found them sleeping, and said to Peter, actually, what does he call him? How's he address him? Simon. Not the rock here. <laughs> He's not rocky. Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? I'm guilty. I confess. Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. 
what's going to happen. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. You ever just gotten up and somebody tried to talk to you and you tried to talk and you couldn't talk? <laughs> it's been a long night, folks. A long day. And then you have the Passover and remember how that goes into the wee hours of the morning and now you're out here. Uh, and he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping? How would you like to have been there when he said that? The first time. Second time. Third time. Guilty. No. It's enough. The hour has come. This is it. He already knows they're they're on the way. Son of man is being betrayed right now in the hands of sinners. Get up. Come on. Let's be going. Behold the one who betrays me. He's here. The time is now. This is it. Imagine how he felt. The hour of his greatest need and disciples are sleeping. Couldn't you watch one hour in his greatest hour of need and he's really alone. He is with the Father. Didn't he say in Zechariah the sheep will be scattered? Very shortly they will. They're kind of scattered mentally here anyway. One thing they're going to learn is the lesson about prayerlessness. They're going to remember that. i got a feeling you're going to see them prayer a lot after this. Matter of fact, that's really how the book of Acts starts, doesn't it? They're in a room. What are they doing? Praying, waiting. Watch and pray. First Peter five eight says that. Be alert. Be in prayer. We have an enemy, folks. Are you alert? Are you watchful? He says that you'll be coming. To, you know, be praying that you may not get into temptation. That you'll yield to that temptation. You know, you can be overcome by the evil one. Even our best wishes are not that. Are you alert about your lifestyle? Are you checking that out, examining that? Are you alert about your habits? Are you alert and watchful about your attitudes? Attitudes that you have with things, with people? Are you praying about all those things that you know are your weaknesses? Are you praying about them? Really wanting the Lord to change those? Got to take this seriously. We see this right before us. We're looking at these guys who are us. That's us. Do we want that to improve? We just want to stay where we're at. But you don't get to stay where you're at. You either shrink back or you go on. People are passing us by in this race, right? Keep it up. The only way the flesh and temptation can be dealt with is by watching and praying. Watch out. You know what I see in all this? As we wrap it up, remember when I... Talked about the glory of God. That's in the title. Glory of God is seen here, but most people don't see it. What does it seem like? It seems like failure. Because we know the disciples are going to run. It seems like a time of weakness on their part. A time of suffering and agony of our Lord. I mean, this just sounds so negative, doesn't it? but He's in control. And all of this was meant to be and the way that it is turning out there, it's the eternal plan of our Sovereign Lord. Isn't that tremendous? 
This is all part of the plan. And we saw how even in his agony, he was human. And though we will never taste and feel what he did, because it was done at the cross, still yet, we can go to the high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Because he's there. I mean, he's been there. And he's still in the flesh today, and he's still 100% man. He is 100% God. He's risen from the dead. That's what we're pointing at. But this right here, all of this had to be for this to come about in the redemption story. And we're part of it. We're disciples too. Father, thank You for this lessons, these lessons that You've given us. So many are here in the learning who You are. These lessons of disciples and what Jesus went through teaches us that we always have You by our side. And our times of weakness, Lord, help us to realize that they they can turn into sin. We know that weakness is there. But we could see these weaknesses as something that can be strength turned by You. That, That we'd be believing stronger. Thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Thank You that we never have to drink that cup of wrath for Jesus has already done it. Our sins are paid for. We are forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming up here, Bob. I wasn't paying attention again. <laughs> Let's sing our blessing cup. It's communion with the blood of the Lord.
We get to drink the cup. The cup of salvation, as the song said. That's quite a reversal, isn't it? I've got mine already. <laughs> Anybody who saw those words and you're agreeing with those, you can take the Lord's side. Father, thank you for this time that we've had with the Word of God, what you had written long ago. A story we're all very familiar with, read, heard so many times, but yet your precious truth just comes out fresh each time we read and understand what you did. And this is resembling your death. We're proclaiming your death. And we see the reason why the death had to be. Your wrath against sin had to be unleashed on the very your very Son. And it says in Isaiah 53 that you were pleased. You were satisfied with what Christ did in that payment because it was perfectly offered up. No one else could have done it. And we sit here this morning with these elements and we're proclaiming that truth that you died for us. Our sins are taken away. The Father is pleased. Justice has been done Christ has finished the work. Thank you for that story. For that old story. It needs to be fresh in our mind constantly as we go back to the cross. As we go back to Gethsemane and realize that you take us there. And that's where we died. With you. Somehow. 
In Jesus' name, Amen. And we take the bread and the cup. Vine represents joy. You guys have joy? Amen. I like that quote up there. Trying to find joy apart from Christ is like trying to find day without the sun. We may not see the sun out there today, but I'll tell you what. It's there. Christ is there, right? He is our joy. And anything that we have joy in, it's because of Him. Amen? Amen. Thank you for a great time worshiping us. Yeah. I'm going to ask for prayer for Andrew. Yeah. He has, uh, well, I don't know if he wants to tell us, but uh, he has a condition that is very rare. It's pretty serious. Um, he's been dealing with it for quite a while, but uh, just to do, just to eat is quite the, the challenge. I don't know if you want to tell what that is or anything. But yeah, it's um, kind of a more aggressive form of accolation which um, is pretty rare. They really don't know how to treat it. So basically, my esophagus stays in a constantly closed position. The drink of the meeting is a test, and he can't even do it. And he has to go to the hospital this afternoon because he can't digest food anymore because it freezes up on him and drinking and stuff. It becomes a great issue. I just like to lift him up in prayer and see what the Lord has yeah, well, most of you didn't know that, but that's been quite a concern for the last few years. And um, at the same time, you know, it's, the attitude that he has all through it has just blown me away. Um, you know, he's, and he's always in a good mood and a good attitude. I don't if I can always say always, but that's the way that I see it, you know, and especially with what you have. It's a testament to, to the Lord. Well, it's, hard, well, it's hard to get nourishment in your body, though. It's kind of hard to function yeah. after a while. Yeah. It's hard to work. Uh, if you don't have, you don't have uh, strength. So, so, and Andrew's a young, strapping fellow there, you know. So, but yeah, keep 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 him in your prayer every day if you can, and uh, let's see what the Lord's going to do out of all that. Lord, we we keep Andrew in, in our thoughts, our prayers. They would constantly be thinking about uh, all that he has to deal with and realizing that uh, we know that you have this under control, but that um, there can be maybe uh, some technology that can advance that would be able to um, free that up in, in a way that uh, he would uh, be able to uh, eat and drink uh, normally and just be able to function. Um, thank you so much for Andrew and his faith in you as he's been a, a walking witness for you and, and vocal about it. We praise you for that. And uh, thank you for letting him uh, be in fellowship with us again. And it's just a, a joy. And seeing one of my own relatives uh, know the Lord and 
the desire for your word. So, uh, Lord, we just pray that you could come in and, and do a healing on him. And uh, we know that you can. We, we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. By the way, the streets are still wet.
<laughs> and they're soaked, you know, and I forgot about them. Yeah. yeah. So what's it, what's it about? It's a, good. It's uh, a, uh, he is a, a, a Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, the building blocks. Yeah. And I'm like, God gave you, put that in your body. Yeah, you ask you about something. Just like, whenever you have a, yeah. oh, I don't know if that was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why I asked if you were still drinking soda, because I would say, well, for a long time. Never mind, I can't wait. If you drink a lot of soda, or you're smoking, or you're doing other things that break against it, so drink a lot of water, purify the heat, you know, good water, bottled water. Don't drink that. It's got fluoride. Well, as a treat, I treat myself with a fellow I remember you. Well, the worst thing you do is drink diet. Oh, yeah. I'm like, that's the worst thing you can do for your body. Hey, did you guys know? I learned this on everybody this year. This last week, one of the things we're talking about, a particular soda that came out in 1929. That had lithium in it. Yes. It actually had one of its ingredients lithium. I could give you a mood Just like Coca Cola has a Coca Yeah. Well, this other soda. And I didn't know this. But can you think of different names of pop of soda and you know, I'd be able to come up with it. No, that's the one. That was one of the choices. Did they? That has some stuff in it. Did they eventually take it? Yeah. I don't know about it quick, but this was just a temporary so you don't learn much from this but, but uh, does anything have, like lithium, lithium raises you, does it take you high? Up. 7 up. 7 up. 7 up. 7 up. Lithium. It came out in 1929, so I guess back in the depression days, they needed something like that. the economy. <laughs> but yeah, don't they use lithium with like psychiatry? Psychiatry, uh, I think one of the drugs yeah. people were looking to try to get it on. So people were being drugged when they were. Well, just like the Coca Cola or Cobb syrup. Remember Joseph Cobb syrup? I'll be upset. Not you, I really did it. I'll be upset. I'll be upset. I'll be upset. Who knows? All the things that they Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
McCrazy. Yeah, I'll probably show up sometime.
it is
I got the textbook from Lincoln, actually. There's some kind of 